1: Potholes holes
0: and politicians, the the digitators and magicians. First you see the money, then you don't. There's nothing to fill the holes while they're filling their pockets. Potholes holes and politicians, bouncing down the road. Everybody's wishing for no more corruption and dysfunction. It's going to take divine intervention. And God bless you out there. And you are listening to the Founders Show, the voice of the Founding Fathers, coming to you deep within the bowels of those mystic and cryptic alligator swamps of the Big Easy, that old Crescent City, New Orleans, Louisiana. And this is your very own Chaplain High McHenry with
2: Christopher Tidmore. And ladies and gentlemen, we've got quite the show for you today. Coming up, we're going to analyze the U.S. Senate race where, who is on top? Is it going to be a wash for John Kennedy, or does he have some unexpected problems? We're also going to look back at the primary. We didn't get to look at that very much last week. We're going to ask some fundamental questions about the state budget. New uh, Statistics say that there's going to be an $18 million cut to state universities on top of all the cuts last year, over $70 million. Does that mean we have to start looking really innovatively? And has LSU inadvertently given us the answer? should it move to privatization and funding the other schools. We'll talk about all that and more, but before we get into any of those conversations, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to turn our attention to the plight of many of our veterans that is being articulated in a new one-woman show. One of the most extraordinary uh, actresses in the city of New Orleans is a lady by the name of Carrie Cahill. You might have seen her on uh, uh, the, the, The Walking Dead and other prominent shows. And she has a new show called Grounded. It's playing uh, uh, in uh, cooperation with Southern Repertory Theater. It's actually in the basement at Loyola University. And Carrie, welcome to the program. What is Grounded? Hi, thank you
1: for having me. Um, Grounded is a story about a fighter pilot who gets grounded uh, because of modern warfare. So she gets grounded. She has a baby. She comes back, and she wants to go back in the air, and she wants to go and deploy and do everything the way she used to do it. And that's not how they do it anymore. And she gets sent to Creek Air Force Base in Nevada, and she has to drive to war every day and then drive home at the end of the day. And it's about that experience and what the change of identity is and all of that for her.
2: We're talking about our pilots not only dealing with the aftermath of fighting, but dealing with the advent of drone warfare.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's dealing with um, a lot of this identity in terms of her identity with, like, the flight suit, what it means to her, and how she handles going into drone warfare and modern warfare, and what that means for her, and what it's like to be 8,000 miles away from the war that you're in, that you're that you're bombing people and you're 8,000 miles away.
2: Gary Cahill... I have to ask you, I have seen you do uh, roles across the spectrum. You have arranged as an actress. I've never seen you play a fighter pilot or anything remotely similar. This is a one-woman show where basically you talk. You stand on stage and talk for more than an hour. How did you uh, How did you explore and get into this role?
1: Um, well, I was lucky. Me and I may actually talk about this in April. So I got the script in April, and I've, I've gotten to live with it for about six months, which is, part of the reason, which is great, and I think it's how one-woman shows probably have to be done. And um, so what it, what I did partially was, I have a lot of veteran friends, and I was able to talk to a lot of them about fighter pilots, their their experience over there, etc. I actually got to talk to a drone pilot in Creech Air Force Base. They were they let us talk to one. She was amazing. She was great. Had a lot of insight. And, um, and then what you do, too, is you have to take the script and take the soldier that you're playing. And one of the things that was said to me and I won't say who said it. Was that fighter pilots have a really big ego? They tend to be pretty arrogant, and one of the reasons for that is it's the same reason a heart surgeon might have a really high confidence. It's because you don't really get to have self doubt when you're flying 500 miles an hour. You know, you don't, you can't suddenly think, "Oh my God, what if I don't know what I'm doing?" You have to be really confident, and I and I sort of took that and took the script and. You know, and sat on it a lot and read it out loud every day for three months straight and just, you know, let it marinate and research and all the things, you know.
0: Gary, this is uh, Chaplain High McHenry, and thank you so much for being on the show with us today. And I'm a veteran myself, and I know Flyboys because we've done a lot of operations with them. I with my background in GS Army Special Forces, and we kind of have that same kind of bravado. And it's you're right because we do specialized missions that require uh, extreme concentration and ex- with lots of stress. And, uh, you know, it, it pinpoint accuracy, et cetera. So we understand that, that bravado, if you will, that kind of personality. But that's what it takes really to get the job done. And, um, so I, believe me, I can understand that. It's, it's not a knock on them, really. It's just the way they handle the challenges they have. And, uh, they're really good folks. Uh, you know, one of the guys that just ran for Senate, Rob Manus, he was a, a highly decorated, uh, f- flight, you know, f- uh, fighter pilot. And bomber bomber pilot and all that. He commanded squadrons. He had several combat tours of duty. And uh, if you ever get to know him, he's just a gentle, easygoing guy. But I guarantee you, you can see that that kind of uh, daring do coming out of him when he talks about some of his his uh, past. And uh, I've known several several like like um. There's another fellow who we're gonna have on the show right, uh, coming up in the future. Name, and he's uh his um <clears throat> his name is Rich Treadway. And he's the one who actually led the first squadrons in for the Gulf War of the stealth bombers. He helped develop that program. And then he led the first squadron in. He was a commander for it. And then when it was over with, he handled the stealth program for another like 10 years. He had quite a a background with that. And when you hear him talking about it, you can see how, again, that, that bravado and daring Duke comes out. But it's just the way they handle the tremendous challenges that they have
1: time which is not true and i think that's the thing for for people to get from the show i hope is is that there's a there's a work mentality and like you talk about like that endpoint focus where they go in and it's mission and it's this is what we got to do and this is it and then and then it's the going home at the end of the day that's that's often the harder part i think sometimes
0: you're you're right gary anyway um they're really good folks and uh and it's just the job that kind of brings that out in them but they're really very good stable people anyway and you kind of see that if you saw the movie uh, top gun it came out in that
1: yeah it did a little bit and i mean you see it in a couple different things full metal jacket i think had some of that but but it's anybody i mean you know you talk to any if it's a high risk situation i that's why i compared it to surgeons because they have that you sort of see that look in their eyes too where they sort of go in and and they're working on a beating heart, and and you just don't get to have self doubt in that moment. You know, you just have to trust that you know every, you know it, and you're in point, and you're there. So it's it's kind of been a fascinating thing to get into in terms of being an actor because I sort of have to go into that mode on stage because there's no safety net. So I have to go out there and just go. You know what? It doesn't matter what anybody says or what anybody does. I'm going to be on stage for an hour and a half talking, and I know what I'm going to do. And I, you know, there's a little, it's not at all the same because you know if I fail, nobody dies. But it's a lot less risk.
2: (laughs) For those just joining us, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Carrie Cahill. She is the star of the new show... Uh, the, the new play, uh, stage play, Grounded, that is being performed at Loyola University in cooperation with Southern Repertory Theater. It's in the uh, underground of it. It'll be performed through the weekend. For those joining us, of course, this is the Founders Show. We, we air um, our first airing on Fridays from 8 to 9 a.m., our main airings on WSLA 1560 a.m., and then our main airings on WRNO 99.5 FM from 8 to 9 on Sundays, and then again on Monday and Wednesday from 8 to 9. And your airing, uh, it, your show is playing on on Friday and Sunday, the the dates of our first two airings. How would, If somebody wants to get tickets to see Grounded at Loyola, Carrie Cahill, how would they do it?
1: They go to www.southernrep.com, and they buy them online, and that's all they have to do. And it's Thursday through Sunday. Sundays are at 3, Thursday through Saturday at 8 p.m., and we're running all the way through the end of the month.
2: Everybody's listening, can get a, a show. And I want to add one, one other question, if we could, Carrie Cahill, because besides the the level of confidence that a fighter pilot must have and uh and focus what was the most unexpected thing you had as you step in for 90 minutes at a time and and essentially adopt the role of a fighter pilot who's playing a drone pilot what was the most unexpected thing you learned um i don't know you
1: know what i learned um I think we underestimate how well they get to know the enemy because I was watching a lot of interviews and talking to some pilots and the amount of surveillance they do is it's astronomical and they spend a lot of time with the bad guys. And that was, that was, that, that's been the, the weird, the hard part to explore in a good and bad way is just how much they get to know the enemy. You know, they know them really well and, and, and they're not always in a happy way. You know, there's some dark stories out there. But yeah, they get to know the enemy really well, which I wouldn't have expected. And in the show, she spends a lot of time with, with the enemy, you know. So, which is what I will call it for her because it is. But yeah.
0: Carrie Cahill, we, we appreciate you joining us. Hi. Yeah, Carrie, I just want to say I've seen a couple plays, just one actor plays. And it's really fascinating to see how you all do what you do. There, It's very well done, very fulfilling, very. Uh, very entertaining, uh, very, very well. And you know, it kind of it makes us, or makes me think. I guess maybe others, how it must have been for our ancestors way back when, Middle Ages or whatever, when minstrels performed the same act, and it, and they were just one man shows, and they would captivate the entire, the entire wherever they were. In fact, in Ireland, they were so important that if if you d- didn't show them the highest respect, it could put you in jail. In fact, there was once a king. An Irish king who didn't show the proper respect to the traveling minstrel, and he he was he was <laughs> he, his kingdom was overthrown. <laughs> it was that, they took it that seriously. Yeah, so you have a very important role.
1: The Greeks and Homer and all that. While I was memorizing, because I was like, you know, everyone always acts like it's so crazy that they did that, and then I go, you know, they just did it. They spent a lot more time on it, and it was and it was something people looked at as more like really important. And I truly still believe it's that important. Um, but they, yeah, there was a religious aspect. There was, you know, the storyteller in any group or tribe is really important. So, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Uh,
2: Carrie Cahill has been joining us. It's a one woman show called Grounded, where she plays a fighter pilot who's been grounded and is operating drones. It is a fantastic show. I'm going out to see it this weekend, folks. So should you. Running till the end of the month. Tickets available at southernrep.com. Carrie, thank you for joining McHenry and Tidmore here on WRNO and WSLA.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.
2: We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, talking a little bit about the Senate race, the presidential race, the impacts of all of this, and a little bit about the state budget and LSU right after these important messages. Stay tuned. It's the holiday season, ladies and gentlemen. What better way to augment your house and your loved ones with, but with flowers from Villaries Florist? On the web at Villery'sFlorist.com or 1-800-V-I-L-L-E-R-E. The flowers from Villaries Florist run the gambit from holiday specials to roses for your loved ones and everything in between, garlands, trees, you name it. Check them out, Villariesflorist.com. 1-800-V-I-L-L-E-R-E.
1: Hi, I'm David Botner, the Executive Director of the New Orleans Mission. Desperate Reality, Facing the Truth is America's only live radio rescue program. Our outreach teams journey deep into the heart of the city, helping hurting people. The New Orleans Mission and the Giving Hope Retreat are all about giving glory to God through rescue, recovery, and reengagement. You can help the hurting people you hear on this show by donating at DesperateReality.com.
0: So I'd like to encourage you to check that out. This is Chaplin High McEnry, and I am the uh, on that show, Desperate Reality. I was one of the founders of it, and I'm very, uh, very happy about what's going on there. It's Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
2: Now, Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> Jumba. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
0: J-j-jumba.
2: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for
0: details. Truly a remarkable show. It's the only live reality rescue talk show in America. And it's in over 40 states. So go to the website, DesperateReality.com. Our new all's mission and check it out, and uh, you find out what station you'd like to listen to. I think you'll really get a lot out of it. It's real, folks. It's real reality stuff. We're talking about hardcore. Check it out, and God bless you all out there. Binos the the and politicians address the digitators and. Folks, we're back. Boy, we got some exciting things to go over. Louisiana sure is up in trouble again. And to tell us all about it, as this is Chapman High McHenry, my partner, he's got it down. He is in the know. This is Christopher Tidmore. And ladies and gentlemen...
2: As bad as it was last year in the budget, it just got worse. $300 million more in deficit that has to be plugged. Some of it, according to the Edwards administration, will be kicked in, uh, to next year with Medicaid payments. Some may go away with the refinancing of one-time monies, which you might remember was one of the problems Bobby Jindal got into. But the, one of the bigger cuts, it couldn't be as, it's not as bad as it would have been. Of course, is 18 million more dollars in base funding to Louisiana's public colleges, and of course the fund the cut that was already in place, high, a 42 percent cut um, in TOPS benefits, TOPS scholarships for the spring semester. A lot of kids coming out and finding that, despite the fact they made their B's and got their 20s on their ACTs, they are now um, on the hook for their TOPS money. The, uh, Governor Edwards came in and said this is a travesty. Others in the, in the GOP caucus pointed out we wanted to fund this first and we, you know, it, you wanted to save hospitals. They're fair arguments, actually, on this point on either side. But what I found fascinating is the part of the discussion that's been below the conversation. Now, let me give a compliment out. You may have read in the Times-Picayune that UNO found a way to cover and plug the gap of the kids who lost their top scholarship. UNO President John Niccolo worried that his best students might transfer from the university. So, almost a year ago, he started identifying the top students who qualified for federal Pell Grants, used every other grant program available, and basically plugged the $1,770 tuition hole that would be. He wasn't alone. Um, the president of Northwestern State University up in, Na- uh, in, in Natchitoches did much the same thing. But what was interesting was that the president of LSU, F. King Alexander, not only didn't do it, he didn't try. When F. King Alexander was asked by the advocate, what, why, why didn't you try to plug these things? He said, well, we only get about $120 million from the state. And a lot of people said, well, my God, it's an unbelievable amount of money. He actually had a subtler meaning in this. What he said is, basically, we get a quarter of the amount of money from the state of Louisiana that we got 10, 15 years ago. And without saying it, made a point. Our students at LSU, almost every student at LSU qualifies for tops. Our students aren't leaving. Other schools, at UNO, it's about 1,000 students. At NSU, it's even less. Um, It's about 1,100. I'm sorry. It's just slightly more. But, It's a small percentage of the student body. At LSU, it's not. LSU's entrance requirements are TOPS entrance requirements. You don't even get in unless you qualify for TOPS. And what was interesting about this conversation, I'm trying to take this, and follow me for a second, folks, is at the same time all this is going on, LSU President F. King Alexander pens a column that got national attention. It was all over the country, where he predicted the state underwriting of public colleges, the funding of public colleges by the state, will cease to exist by the end of the 2020s. By 2030, he doesn't think it'll happen across the country or happen in very limited cases. And he does this appeal to the new Trump administration saying, look, you need to start getting more federal help to universities, particularly public universities, because they're not going to get any state help. This comment came on top of something he said in the special session a year ago, which basically was the mandates on LSU are starting to be more than the funding they get to the state. They And it was implying LSU ought to become a private university. Well, I started doing some math. Okay, we just cut $18 million, it looks like, today from the university budget. That is on top of, get ready, folks, $38 million from the University of Louisiana system early this year, $4.6 million from the Southern system, this is Suno Southern Grambling, and $20.2 million from our community college and technical college systems like Delgado. Now, do the math on that, and you start saying, oh, my God, um, we're in a lot of that $120 million. And I started asking a question. What if we did the unthinkable? If students are going to be at LSU. Louisiana kids want to be Tigers. They want to go to LSU. They want to be in Death Valley. They want to do that. Maybe it's time to start having a serious conversation about privatizing LSU. What is that going to mean in practical terms? Well, you can't privatize LSU. Well, folks, I'm going to give you a reminder. And high knows as much, if not more, about the topic that I do. Once upon a time, there was a state university, the most prominent flagship state university, founded in 1834. That was privatized. It was privatized in 1884. That date is not an accident. It was called the University of Louisiana. That's why we didn't use that term until the 90s, the University of Louisiana, because there was originally a University of Louisiana. It was like there was LSU in Baton Rouge, there was the University of Louisiana, New Orleans. You know that school better today as Tulane University. In eighteen eighty four, at the end of the uh, uh, the end of the Cotton Exposition, the World's Fair, Paul Tulane and Josephine Louise Newcomb came over, and they made massive financial behest on the condition that Tulane would move from its downtown campus onto the property. ...that had been set aside originally to build the state capitol and became where the the World's Fair is. We know it now as Audubon Park and the Tulane campus. In exchange for using that property, they put up the money and the University of Louisiana ceased to be a public university. Ceased to get $1 in, uh, in money. Paul Tulane's money, along with Josephine Newcomb's, who founded the girls' school, which became Newcomb College ended up funding that school, and the land grant provided a physical state grant to a private institution as it was transitioning. Note these these points. Why am I saying all that? Because we've done it before. It was the first public university to become private, and I think by any measurement, Tulane University flourishes today. Well, in the state of Louisiana, one of the criticisms we have had for years is we have too many public colleges for our population. To put, look at it another way, in Louisiana, we have as many public colleges as Florida does with seven times our population. That is duplicative. So I started looking at it, and I said, wait a second. We give LSU $120 million, which they said is not enough. But in exchange, we tell LSU they cannot raise their tuition without legislative approval and there's been, they've been held off from raising their tuition up until very recently at very much more than the TOPS program. What if we simply did this? Over the next seven years, we give LSU, we phase out that 120 million. We give LSU the right to not only raise their tuition um, equal to the amount we're phasing out, but 10% above that, so they're getting more money into the school. So there's no sticker shock that's too bad for their student body. It's phased in over seven years. The $120 million that gets phased down is reserved for the other universities to plug the hole at UNO, to plug the hole in the historically black colleges and universities, to plug the hole elsewhere. Now, the whole 120000000 million won't be saved, I'll be the first one to say it, because we can't privatize the two medical schools in New Orleans and Shreveport. We have to have affordable doctor training because if you, we all had private med schools, we wouldn't have as many doctors in Louisiana. And that's one of the trade-offs. And we probably would have to take LSU's Shreveport campus and Alexandria campus, LSU-S and LSU-A, and bring them into the uh, University of Louisiana system. But as far as I can calculate high, we would save about 80 to $90 million by doing this. By the way... What is the deficit of the other universities right now? About 80 to $90 million. We could plug the problems we have in other universities. And for those that say, well, you would be taking away LSU from the the state capital, the public university, the flagship from the state capital, I'd point out that right across the LSU lakes, there's another public university. It's called Southern. It's actually a pretty good school. For the, for the historically black colleges it's one of the best half the, pop, half the student body at Southern is white um, particularly in the law schools and the graduate schools we can it exists in the shadow of LSU so if we let LSU go private and achieve its potentials, and by the way, not just take away the money, take away all the mandates that they have, on, and they are myriad of one the non-medical mandates on agriculture stuff they do for the Department of Agriculture. They, there's a whole list of them where they have to do things that make no sense from an academic standpoint for the university. It's basically helping other government departments. Well, the state, Christopher Tidmore, paid for all those buildings. Well, guess what? The state paid for the land where Tulane was too. We would just, we wouldn't, make it a for-profit institution we'd say okay lsu you become a non-profit institution we will donate all the land the assets into this phase out your funding over seven years while you're allowed to phase up your tuition seven years you're free and clear and you be the best university you can be the thing that why i'm bringing this up now this impossible idea is it's all but what lsu president f king alexander suggested would happen anyway And it's what I've heard a lot of uh, LSU professors saying, look, we want to be a research one institution, but we will never have that as long as we can't get money and we're hamstrung by the state. A lot of them want the state just to write huge checks and turn them into UNC Chapel Hill. That's not going to happen in the deficit environment. So maybe it's time in this free market era to say, you know what, it's time Louisiana has one less public university and it's time to let LSU reach its potential and it's time to be more economical with our tax dollars. And if this means the average LSU student ends up paying about what the average Loyola student pays, about $16,000, dollars a year, well, you know what? I actually don't think they'll have it. And here's the best part. Did you know, high, that Tulane students get tops? They do. Every private universe, every student who goes to a private university in Louisiana gets the amount of the tops uh, behest, the amount of the tops scholarship, what is applied to their tuition bill. So you get about three thirty five hundred dollars if you go to Tulane. Your tuition bills, of course, twenty five thirty thousand a semester. But you, you get the you get it applied. The same thing would happen at LSU. They'd still qualify for tops. It just would be an environment that's different. And the reason I'm bringing up this long and involved idea for everybody is we've got a, a structural deficit program that, if we don't seriously start looking at not cutting government, make it more efficient, but realistically trying to garner our resources in certain areas and really say okay. We have too many universities. We have one that can survive on its own. We start looking at it from a critical standpoint of saying, we can't fund everything. We need to fund a smaller group of things really well. We'll never fix the the, the deficit situation. I don't care how much we raise taxes or how much we cut government because we're not making a hard choice. And I'm wondering if this choice is going to be really brought up before the legislature because there are a lot of parents who are going to say, we hated the fact we had to pay for our kids to go to LSU. You know what? They're right. But LSU doesn't need T.O.P.S. to cover every dollar and have students. I will venture to say, though, to have good students at UNO, Nichols, Suno, Northwestern, LSUS, you probably do need the T.O.P.S. program. You need that to get the best students. Your thoughts, Hi McHenry?
0: Well, this is fascinating, and uh, it just kind of goes to show me, uh, like I, the theory I have is that uh, the government that governs least governs best. That was Thomas Jefferson's famous quote, and uh, that when you compare what the private sector can do with what the government can do, it's no contest. Private sector always outperforms the government. So with that being the case, it would make sense that we should have more involvement by the private sector. However, I would like to think that the private sector would not be big corporations That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and
0: conditions. 18 plus. And that ends up getting control of our universities. That's the problem with our government is when we have Big Brother Corporation owning Big Brother government. In fact, that's what that election, this recent election was all about, trying to contain and stop the tremendous takedown of government by big corporations, multinational corporations, Wall Street, if you will where, of course, Hillary was deeply entrenched and in bed with uh, as she, as they funded much of her campaign. And we, we heard the speeches she gave where she said, now, I have two things I'm saying. I say to the public one thing, but I say to y'all another whole different thing. So don't pay any attention to what I'm telling the public. Listen to what I'm telling you now. And then she goes into talking about how she just totally prostituted herself to Wall Street. So um, that's my concern about when you turn something over to the private sector, I think it should be kept local. Uh, the the little people, if you will, the um, small businesses and whatever, that, they should be the ones involved with managing education, not Big Brother Corporation. That's my my thoughts on it. Christopher, what do you think? Well,
2: I mean, God forbid. I mean, next thing you will be electing a president whose big corporation ran a university. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry that that happened, didn't it? Yeah, all right, no, no, come on. My point, I want to, I want to get back to the state budget because I want, and I want we We're gonna get back, we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to Trump and the whole works. But I want to get back to state government because this is actually getting missed. We, uh, what the levels of deficit that we've got going on right now in the state, nobody's talking about. We're all pretending like it is, and and it's having real impact. I mean, think about this. Tops was effectively the new uh, homestead exemption. It was the thing you didn't. Mess with it's the middle class is one benefit. It is there. It is is a Louisiana middle class is social security. You didn't touch it, and yet it's forty two percent less this semester. If that doesn't tell you that we have to do a thorough analysis of what we're spending money on, nothing does. And what is frustrating me is. Well, I'm seeing actually a little bit better out of the Edwards administration than I saw out of the Jindal administration. I was a, I was I carried more water than Gunga Din for Bobby Jindal. So, I'm it's not I'm not playing favorites here. I don't see enough still. I don't really see a conversation where we're saying, you know what, we got too many universes. You know what, we probably have too many ferries going across the Mississippi River. Talk about a politically sensitive topic. You know what, we've got x, y that we really are not having it. We keep having conversations, and I think there's something very instructive. The One of the constitutional amendments that failed was supposedly a tax swap. It was reducing the corporate income tax from 9 to 6.5% and getting rid of deductions. And the argument was it was a revenue-neutral change. Well, guess what? No, it wasn't. If it really had been a revenue neutral change, I might have supported it. But that's not what was happening. It was getting rid of deductions, lowering the rate, good things, but trying to raise more tax dollars. It failed 5644. You know why? The people of Louisiana have had enough on the tax front. They're not going to allow it. It actually is kind of frightening for tax reform. But after the Stelly plan, it is very, very, very unpopular. So if we don't get serious about finding out a way to get rid of this situation, frankly, folks, we are not going to have it, and we're going to come in on this, and, and, and nobody's talking. It's getting lost in the situation with the U.S. Senate race, with the down-ticket races, and next year, guess what? We've got another political season. For those of us here in New Orleans, it's going to be a mayor's race that is going to be everybody and his brother. J.P. Morrell looks like he's going to run. Jason Williams for counsel, uh, Latoya Cantrell, possibly the garbage man, City Torres IV is running. Are we not going to have a conversation about, in the midst of the legislature, in the midst about all that? Maybe not. I mean, I can tell you, hi the uh, the U.S. Senate race is on. Now, I'm going to be the first one to say it. John Kennedy is going to win this race. There's no way I can see on this. But you know what? Lately, my predictions haven't gone too well. So I don't want to make a prediction. I will say this in Foster Campbell's defense. For those that watched the last U.S. Senate primary, High brought up Rob Manus. Actually, everyone deserves a vote of thanks to Rob Maness, even though he only got 5%. You know what it is? If Rob Maness was not in this race, it is entirely possible. And I can add John Fleming to this. Neither one of them made the runoff. They kind of canceled each other out. But here's what they both did. They canceled out David Duke. David Duke got 3% of the vote. He would have done better if there weren't Tea Party level uh, people that, uh, in the race that were pretty openly supporting Trump to give those voters another choice. Voters will vote for Duke as a protest, even as abominable as it sounds. But there was another interesting re- revelation about the Senate race, and it was this. Foster Campbell edged his way into the runoff him, uh, above Charles Bustani, despite the fact there was a good turnout of the Cajuns in his Acadiana seat, and Caroline Fayard, a fellow Democrat, who had pretty much ubiquitous African-American support. And the reason was... Foster Campbell, who's a public service commissioner from North Louisiana, managed to get white rural voters who, only, who you normally only vote Republican. And in fact, the same surge that came out for Donald Trump, a percentage of those voters, those rural white voters, voted for Foster Campbell. And it's interesting in this that if I have to do the calculations, I'm going to say a Republican seat, Kennedy's going to win. But... Campbell is appealing to the same anti-corporate pos- uh, populism that somewhat Donald Trump got. Does that mean he's going to win? I don't know. But I know when a Democrat can win par- conservative white majority parishes in North Louisiana and rural Louisiana as he did, there's something unique going on in a Senate race.
0: Fascinating, very very interesting. And Christopher, as far as Trump goes, he's a little guy. And when, when I'm talking about multinational corporations, his assets total out at somewhere between 8 to $10 billion. That's small time compared to uh, these big multinational corporations whose assets are in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And those are the people I'm talking about. And by the way, he did have a university, but <laughs> it was all on his dime. And he, I don't know what was going on with that school. I know I went to something like that year i went to several things like that years ago when i was in the financial planning business and real estate and whatnot and you go to a weekend seminar and they'd call it a university and it was good and you paid a lot of money for it and you got good stuff out of it you learned a lot you learned some very interesting things and very helpful things and you walked away with a, a box full of books and tapes and whatnot and uh and they they called it a university but and i don't know if that's what his university was but it, it, uh, that's not the same thing It's a very different situation So uh, I, I don't think I, no, you no, can do that no, Christopher no, no. This was not some uh, PMA motivation He registered it with
2: the state of New York As a university It was registered as an, educa- as an as an Academic institution It was, no, don't give me that Trump did not If Trump had just gone out and sold books and tapes How you get successful in real estate I'd basically say, you know what Alright, fine, it, it, it was It, it was a it was maybe a well-meaning scam But the fact of the matter is That's not what happened with Trump University And I gotta tell you This court case has been delayed But it's still going to court And there are serious questions as what happened with Trump University The New York prosecutor's office Don't, you know, look I know it's politically motivated But I also know there are a lot of people who have come forward, who are registered Republicans, who felt like they lost $30,000, 40000 $50,000 in life savings in what became a university that folded and took their money for not services. Promises were made and it wasn't. This, whether it's true or not, high. this is a major political problem for Donald Trump. And it's an, it's an, it's an issue. This is, this is an issue like Bridgegate that can come back, that seems minor at the time, and can come back to haunt you. Chris Christie is no longer part of this campaign because he had a subordinate who he let take the rap for closing down bridges and stopping ambulances and creating public danger. And Donald Trump, when she got convicted, Donald Trump, by all accounts, looked at this and said, "You're out of here." I give him credit for that, but it's nonetheless true. This is another
0: Bridgegate. I don't know, Christopher. We have, you know, we're, we're passing judgment and we haven't even seen the evidence yet and uh so you know let's hear let's see the trial go through let's hope he gets a fair trial i know that uh with a judge who's belongs to radical uh hispanic groups uh, i don't know <laughs> that's gonna be interesting to think that that judge can can rule fairly on this thing with justice and he should rec- recuse himself because of his background that he uh supports radical his islamic groups why then why did Trump not ask him to be recused? Why did he
2: criticize him and then not make a filing for recusal? Why?
0: I don't know. We'd have to ask his lawyers. They're they're, the, they're tied up in all the legal there. I have no idea. Anyway, it'll play itself out, and we'll find out about it. But to make a ju- judgment now is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So, um, uh, it's um, <clears throat> so I guess it's time for us to talk about. you want to talk any more about this? We we got a good insight, I think, into the Senate race, Louisiana Senate race. It's coming up in a few weeks, folks, get out and vote. we need to vote. We need to make sure that we're faithful with this wonderful uh, opportunity that God has given us in this country it's a real patriotic duty and 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 um honor to be able to go to the polls and vote. so be sure and get out and vote for the the, the runoffs for the senate u s Senate and um let's see um it's, that was, of course, the December 10th. Folks,
2: you're listening to The Founders Show, the voice of the Founding Fathers. You, if you miss this show, you can always hear it Friday, Monday, and Wednesday in WSLA, 1560 a.m. from 8 to 9 a.m. And Sundays from 8 to 9 a.m. But when it comes into uh, to the December 10th election, we got to also, going into national politics, i got to ask you a question. hi. Right now, Rudy Giuliani is on the short list to be Secretary of State. I think this is a wonderful choice. I mean, sometimes I've disagreed with the last thing, but I think nobody's better qualified for this job than America's mayor. But guess who might kill those chances? Rand Paul, the Republican anti-Iraq war members. They're not many, but remember, even if Kennedy wins, there's only 52-48 Republican majority in the Senate. It only takes three votes to make sure that a presidential appointment doesn't come through. And here's another irony. Because of the changes the Democrats made that are coming back to haunt them, Any judge below the Supreme Court, it only takes a simple majority. Most presidential appointments, it only takes a simple majority, like presidential executive officers and stuff like that, special counsels to the president, Steve Bannon, if you will. But a cabinet post still requires 60 votes to be approved. So if some Republicans come out after Giuliani and they go after him and the Democrats do, on a legitimate point, Giuliani was an outspoken supporter of the Iraq war. And by the way, so was I. And I, I think it was mishandled at the end. Trump, on the other hand, is not So the very people are saying, wait a second Mr. President, you said the Iraq war Was stupid, that the Bushes ought to be Prosecuted for it, and your Secretary of State is one of, was one of the Loudest cheerleaders in the country for it Without any question You can understand that this is going to be a political fight Does Donald Trump drop Giuliani? Maybe by the time of our final airing In the show it has happened But his other choice, John Bolton, who is one of my Heroes, politically ...is the other one. There's not anybody in that range that is not... They're, they're activists. They're also people Vladimir Putin doesn't particularly like. I love that! Doesn't fit into the Trump policies. Trump is running into the realities of the political positions of the Republican Party. And there is not unanimity... There are people like Rand Paul who agree with Trump politically more uh, on foreign policy, at least more than they agree with the rest of their party. And they may not be the ones to stop him from having cabinet members who disagree with himself. Does that make sense to you? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. As far as the Iraq war, uh, I, I was uh, deploying for Afghanistan uh, when it broke out in '03, And I'll never forget, I got the strongest premonition. I wish we weren't doing that, but we did it. And, uh, the of course, the idea was that there were weapons of mass destruction. They had been found. They found the uh, biological and chemical weapons. I had a, a close friend, two good buddies, when I was trained up in 2010, who actually walked on the largest uh, deposit of highly uh, radioactive material, uranium, that was being stored south of Baghdad. It's the largest uh, ga- collection of radioactive material that – that Saddam was preparing for his, his nukes. And uh, even if he, just, he could have used that for dirty bombs, the damage that could have caused would have been enormous. So they, there was just cause. And we saw how every time the um, inspectors went in, right before they got to the location, everything was moved. That happened repeatedly. Uh, and then finally, right before we went in in 03, it was all moved into the Baca Valley in Syria. And uh, I have another good friend who was on the, on the naval vessels that intercepted a ship from Syria that was loaded with radioactive material. So there's all kinds of smoke and guns there. And I can understand that President Bush thought it was necessary to get all the intelligence agencies, not just ours, but around the world, were in agreement that, that something needed to be done there. And we know that Saddam Hussein was a loose cannon, he was a crazy person, he was a mad dictator. And um but the problem with the whole Iraq war is they basically handled it the wrong way. I think many, many people with hindsight can see that now. And then the worst thing about it was when we did finally pacify the the area, then we turn it right back over to the bad guys because we pull out all of our forces. We could have left a small unit there. You know, 10,000 troops would have more than handled what was going on there. And we'd have never heard of ISIS. None of this stuff would ever happen. Uh, you know, we'd have had a, 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 a statement of forces where we would have known what we needed, and it would have been there. And and what's the big deal? And we got more than that in Korea now, and they've been there for fifty years, and more than that in Germany, they've been there for what sixty, sixty, seventy years. So, it's uh, absurd to think that that uh, we had to get it. You know what happened there under Obama was absolutely deplorable, and it, it has created such tragedy and such unnecessary unrest there. But uh, I, I don't hold Giuliani or those guys that were. After, who helped create, if you will, supported the Iraq War. And uh, anyway, those are my thoughts on it, Chris. Yeah, uh, some members of the Senate do, and that's a big problem for a president-elect Trump.
2: Um, before we end this segment, because we're coming to the end of it, ladies and gentlemen, I do want to point out that it is the 10th anniversary of the death of a giant who changed the world. And he was not a politician, he was not a general, but he was more influential than any of those. I'm speaking of Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman died ten years ago this week, and to give you an idea of the impact of Milton Friedman, I always think back to to the first post post communist prime minister of Estonia, who had no economics test text. He had no uh, idea what to do. He had one book, free to choose, and he followed he followed what Milton Friedman said. And Estonia went from the basket case of the Soviet Union to one of the most successful post Soviet economies. Same thing happened in Chile. Same things. I actually interviewed Milton Friedman when he was in his 90s, and this was a, you know, this, I'm, I'm this kid reporter, this cub reporter, and I'm, I'm coming up and I'm all nervous about interviewing him, and so I write this question, you have to submit the questions, he's on stage, and this is, there are all these gold bugs, the people who think, going back to the gold standard, I'm thinking, this Milton Friedman will love this, so I'll write a question, what do you think about a new, the creation of a new Brenton Woods system, uh, here in New Orleans, I uh, was at the uh, Blanchard Conference. And the Bretton Woods system was where the U.S. dollar was tied to gold and every other currency was tied to the U.S. dollar. So after the post-war period until the 1970s, we effectively had an international currency. It was the dollar, and the dollar was tied to gold. So gold was the international currency via the greenback. And, you know, most gold bugs think this is a great idea. And Friedman looked at this. He's 92, almost 93 years old. Sharps attack. And looks at this as, why would we be stupid enough to have another fiat currency? What his point was is, Gold is no more valuable than anything else. Money is valuable only by the supply of it, the amount in currency. It's called monetarism. And he said what's more importantly is that you don't print too much money, you don't tax too much, you don't spend too much because that causes inflation. It's very simple. If you control those factors and you don't overregulate people, the economy itself will flourish. You don't have to create wealth Wealth will create itself in the right environments. And that statement, which seems so retro in 1983, was ruling the world by 1993 and gave us the world for good or for ill as we had today. And I think Milton Friedman would be the first one to come out and say, um, in the wake of what happened after 2008, he probably would have supported the Fed's quantitative easing, but he'd probably probably be coming out today and saying, you know, folks, just having us come in and spend more and more, you know, having us inflate the currency more and more, as Janet Yellen has, would probably be a very bad idea. Folks, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, this is when Gary Baba himself will be joining us with a patriotic minute here on WRNO and WSLA.
0: Now, Christopher, I know we didn't have much time for it, but I guess we'll be able to cover it next week because I don't know that these riots are going to stop. But think about it, folks. Here are these wonderful, honorable, civil, Uh, Democratic types, whatever they are, liberals, uh, who the day after the election, they organized riots, and uh, it took the president forever to speak out against it. And then where was the head of the Democrat Party, whoever it is that keeps having to put new heads in because the ones they had were so corrupt? And uh, where was Hillary Clinton? Where, Where was Bill Clinton renouncing the horrors of the riots that caused tremendous property damage and personal injury? There was some... Terrible events of people who were so uh, viciously attacked by these wonderful, compassionate liberals. Well, we don't have time now to really get into that, but we will on the next show. Be thinking about it, folks. And, of course, we, it, this is an ongoing problem. I believe the riots have not ended yet, so uh, we'll have plenty to talk about it on the next show. So thanks so much for being with us, and we will be right back, folks.
2: Smartmediaandmarketing.com for all of your PR and advertising needs. Smartmediaandmarketing.com. Let Marty Sutton and his team bring more customers through your door. Make your dollars be well spent. Smartmediaandmarketing.com for all of your PR and advertising meetings. Smartmediaandmarketing.com.
0: And hey folks, this is Chapman Heiman I want to tell you about our ministry, the Lamb Ministries. Check us out. Go to our website, lambnola.com, LambNola.com. Find out what's going on in the inner city. Find out what's going on with the urban poor. We have a ministry that works with inner city kids, the urban poor, and also now even the business and professional community. So you might want to check us out. Find out what we're doing. We'd love to get you involved one way or the other, and we need all the help we can get. We appreciate your prayers and whatever else you can do for Lamb Ministries. Thanks so much, and we We'll look forward to meeting you in the future. God bless y'all. Holes, the politicians, the and the. Folks, we're back, and it is now time for us to go into our Chaplain Baba patriotic moment. Just take a brief moment to remind you of the biblical foundations of America, our Judeo-Christian jurisprudence. And we're still going through House Resolution 888 from the 110th Congress back in December of 2007. This was a resolution to call America to dedicate a week for religious history, the American religious history. And uh, we will continue reading the the document on page 4. And I quote, whereas beginning in 1904 and continuing for the next half century, the federal government printed and distributed the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth for the use of members of Congress because of the important teachings it contained. Whereas in 1931, Congress, by law, adopted the Star-Spangled Banner as the official national anthem with its phrases such as, May the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. And this is our motto, in God is our trust. Whereas in 1854, Congress, by law, added the phrase, one nation under God, to the Pledge of Allegiance. Whereas in 1854, a special congressional prayer room was added to the Capitol with a kneeling bench, an altar, an open Bible, an inspiring stained glass window with George Washington kneeling in prayer. The declaration of Psalm 16.1, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And the phrase, this nation under God, displayed above the kneeling, prayerful Washington. Whereas in 1856, Congress, by law, made in God we trust the national motto and added the phrase to American currency. Folks, I really think that our founding fathers wanted to keep God in government. It's pretty clear. But what about you? Do you have God in you? You know, it's it said in that uh, Psalm, that's, that's one of the books in the Bible, Psalm 16.1. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. What about you? Have you put your trust in God? In your creator? Where are you on that? Well, you could be the greatest patriot that ever lived, but if you died and went to hell, what good would it do you? So I'm going to take just a brief moment to share with you how you can learn and how you can know how to put your trust in God. So God will preserve you. He will save you. As Psalm 16.1 declared it and remember this this was uh under the stained glass window of george washington kneeling and He was famous praying you got to keep trying to get bibles and chaplains for our army we need bo- beans and bullets and it's time to spend more time rather than communicating with god communicating with us but you know he didn't listen to him he kept praying and he kept getting bibles and and chaplains for our military back then and you know the rest see when you put your trust in god it It works. It really works. But what about your eternity? Shouldn't you put your trust in God for eternity? Well, I'm going to share with you now how you can do that. You know, the Bible says that God loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. That's everybody. That's you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's all the way God and all the way man. He's 100% God and 100% man. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Believe in him. What do you believe in him? Well, I'll tell you what you need to believe in him. It's called the gospel, that Christ died for all of your sins on the cross. The Bible says his blood has washed them all away. When I say all your sins, I mean from the day you're born to the day you die, your tiniest to your greatest sins. They all were washed away with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for your sins, was buried, and then rose from the dead to win for you his precious free gift of resurrection, everlasting life. That's what it says, that whosoever believeth in him, that's what you're to believe in him, that, that God became a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, died for your sins and rose from the dead. And then it goes on to say that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. In other words, you'll be saved from hell. You won't go to hell. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, you need that everlasting life. That was John 3.16. Believe today, believe that Jesus is your only way, that he died for all your sins and rose from the dead. And the moment you do that, you become a child of God. The Bible says your dead and dying spirit becomes fully alive. That means that's when you're born again. Your spirit is born again. It was, it was in a state of death. Now it's changed to a state of life, eternal life that you get from our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never believed that before, do it now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Now is the day of salvation. You may not get tomorrow. We never know. And like the old country preacher said, don't wait till it's too late. Well, folks, it's time for us to go. We want to thank you so much for being with us. We've enjoyed you on the show today. And now as we close with the Mont Saint Martin singing a Creole, goodbye. Enjoy this wonderful melody by one of New Orleans' greatest musicians, Armand St. Martin, singing a Creole goodbye. We're just wasting our time, but a minute or three, seven, say love me. There's time for.